0: And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he has given to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, its perfect challenge to us in our everyday lives. It's encouragement and strengthening in our uh, our faith in you and our understanding of you. God, we pray that in our time that we get to spend in the word tonight, that you would encourage us and strengthen us in our understanding of who you are and your desire for our lives, that you desire to be present with us. You desire to, to make residence inside of us, God that you desire to come near to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm titling this message Kaizen, uh, which means continuous improvement in Japanese. Uh, So um, you'll see why that is an obvious title as we go through. Um, I want to explain just briefly Kaizen to you as just an introduction to our time together. We're talking about being people that are willing to change all the time, willing to be changed by God in every step of our lives, increasing in our understanding and our faith in what God wants to do with us and through us. And Kaizen is this idea in business of what's called continuous improvement. Okay? So you've got a big corporation, you've got all kinds of processes going around. Well, maybe a great example is like Walmart. You know, there's Walmarts everywhere and they're stocking shelves and they're sending trucks and people are pulling stuff off the trucks and they're putting them on there and they've got people ringing up the registers and all this stuff. Kaizen is the mentality that in that huge process, that huge complex system of business that's happening, we want to always be improving every aspect of that business. Because continued improvement increases productivity. In- increase in productivity increases profit for a company. So a company desires to always be improving every process that they have within their company. Because if you can change one piece of the process just a little bit, you can create more productivity and thus more profit, which is the purpose of doing business is to create profit and then you know, hopefully hire more people and give them jobs and help them to feed their families. These are good things. So uh, Kaizen is this idea that in order to continue to succeed, you must never settle. You must continually make changes to the things around you to do things better, to improve yourself and to pr- improve the processes in which you are spending your time and your effort on. And so, uh, so I say that as an introduction to this message because uh, what we see in our passages in, in Luke as well as in Acts is that God is doing a new thing. He is continuously changing us and developing us into the people that he desires us to be. Even after we come to salvation in the Lord, after we place our faith in Christ, Paul says this about us in Philippians 1.6. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that is your salvation in Jesus, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when you come to the Lord in faith, when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have more work to be done on you. The Lord isn't finished with you at that point. He has saved you and redeemed you and given you eternal life, but he desires to whittle out any selfishness that is in you, any any uh, sinfulness that is in you. He wants to whittle it out and replace it with the fruit of the Spirit, with the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He wants to fill you up with those things throughout the entirety of your lives. And if you've been a Christian long, you know that this idea is called sanctification. It's the process by which you are growing closer to God in every moment of your life. I was thinking about this today and I thought about it as this sanctification, this continuous improvement is the simultaneous increase in our understanding of our own sinfulness and the greatness of God's grace. See, I find that as I grow as a Christian, as every year that passes, I realize more and more that I am... A sinner. That I am like, I'm the worst of sinners. You know, just like Paul declared in his, in his epistles, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Okay, this is coming from a man who has been imprisoned for his faith in Christ Jesus, who has gone to the extent that anyone could possibly go to. And he is saying, I am the chief of sinners. It tells me that growing in an understanding of what God has done for us means that we realize that the gravity of our mistakes in our past. But we also realize as we realize that great separation we've created on our own behalf, we realize that God has given full grace upon that when we place our faith in Christ Jesus. See, sanctification is about realizing more and more how much God's grace has been poured out upon us, lavishly upon us. There's nothing we could possibly do to make up for it in our own strength. It is grace. It is a gift by faith, not by works that we should boast about it, rather by faith that God has given it to us In His Son and on the work of the cross, so God desires continuous change in our lives, and we've seen that both in the in the Gospel of Luke and as well as in our study here in Acts. Um, This passage, again, we've been going through this sort of section of uh, a a major shift in the Book of Acts uh, for the past three weeks, and uh, I wanted to mention this. in, In Luke, we saw a major shift, and also in Acts, we've seen a major shift. And I want to point out both of those two now. The major shift that we saw in, in our study of the book of Luke is this. The Christ, the Messiah, came to bring salvation to those in bondage. As we study the book of Luke, you might remember a little bit about it, but one of the key themes we saw is that people that confronted Jesus or Jesus, Jesus ran into thought that when he was saying he was the Messiah, that he was going to issue uh, uh, some sort of authority, some physical kingdom that he was going to establish to overthrow the power of Rome, okay? So those that saw that he was doing these great works and thought that he, he might in fact be the Son of God, that he might in fact be the Messiah, thought that he was going to free them from physical bondage, uh, you know, political bondage to uh, to Rome. And that's not why he came. So the shift that we see in Luke is that the Lord didn't just come to uh free us from the difficulties that we they're facing in in this physical world these these political realities that people were facing but rather he came for something much greater. He came to release the captives from spiritual bondage. He came to not not release us from a political oppressor but rather release us from an evil oppressor. To release us from the the hold of the of the evil one and rather to take us from that hold, that that bondage, and place us into the presence of the living God, to give us a way that we can be in fellowship with God the Father. And we, we learned clearly that there is no other way that we can access the fellowship with God the Father except through Jesus. So the major shift we saw in Luke was that Jesus came to free us from spiritual bondage, to bring salvation to us who are in bondage. The major shift that, that the church is being faced with in the book of Acts is, uh, is just as important. It's this, that salvation from Jesus was not only intended for the Jews, but for the nations. God's desire in Christ was not just to redeem His people, the nation of Israel, the, the chosen nation of Israel, but rather that out of Israel one would come, whose name is Jesus, who would bring forth the nations into the very presence of God. See, we've seen this theme throughout the book of Acts that those who were once excluded in some way from God's presence are now being brought directly into his presence. They are now experiencing his presence. I love that, uh, that song we were singing um, from Holy Spirit, right? let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become aware of your presence that 's what God has done for not just not just the Jews who once worshipped at a temple, but now for the Gentiles, all that in Christ now the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and I can experience His presence as we worship and as we share the gifts that God has given us with one another his presence is now with us. And so throughout Acts we've seen that theme that those who once were somehow excluded have now been drawn into the very presence of God by the power of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw that in Acts chapter 8 in two ways. Two groups that had been separated in some way from worshiping God in in, in the way that they previously understood it have now been given access to God the Father. We saw it with the Ethiopian eunuch, okay? The Ethiopian eunuch you might remember he came from uh, probably, I think it's like 3,000 miles away or something like that. Um, uh, it was essentially like a month's long journey for him to come to Jerusalem and to worship at the temple, okay? And he desired to do that. He was a diaspora Jew. He'd been spread out to Ethiopia. He'd become uh, a prominent individual in Ethiopia, serving the queen uh, in, in, his tre- in her treasury there. And, uh, and he, as a eunuch, was limited in his ability to worship God at the temple, Even though he came from miles and miles away, he could not fully participate in worship at the temple because he was a eunuch. And so he was unclean in a particular way, and so therefore he could not participate in the full manner that most Jews were able to participate in. But he came anyway from miles away, a months-long journey to come and, and be at the temple and to worship God in his presence. And then he goes home thinking his experience is over, and he meets Philip, Philip shares the gospel with him, baptizes, and the Holy Spirit comes on this man's life, and now he is in the very presence of God, worshiping him with his life. He no longer has to go to a temple. He no, no longer is, is set aside as one that doesn't have full access to the presence of God. Rather, the very presence of God now lives inside of him, and he can worship him fully. No limitation. God has brought those who were once excluded into God's presence, into his presence. See, the same thing in the Samaritans in, the, in chapter 8. We talked about how the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans as a half race. They had, uh, they had interbred with other nations, and so they were looked down upon for that. They, they actually uh, also ended up setting up new places uh, to worship on their own away from Jerusalem. They, they disregarded the temple and decided to worship on, on, on the mountain. Because they didn't worship at the temple, they were separate. But Philip, after he witnessed to the Ethiopian, is taken away and ends up uh, ministering to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans receive the Lord. The Samaritans come to know Jesus as their Savior, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. The very presence of God fills these people's lives. And we see it's a big deal because the, the apostles send a delegation to, uh, to verify that the Word of God had gone forth to the Samaritans. We see another, uh, this is another group that was once far off was once excluded in some way from full participation in worship of the one true God, has now been brought near and can enter the very presence of God through the Holy Spirit. This is a major theme in Acts. Salvation from Jesus, not just for the Jews, but also for the nations. And that that's exactly what we see in this passage. Over the past three weeks, we've seen this story, right, of Peter and Cornelius meeting. Peter, this the, the rock of the church, okay, is told in a vision that now all these purity laws that he once thought were still in effect are no longer in effect, that he can kill and eat these things that were on the sheet and that now his interaction with the Gentiles is okay. We see that he goes forth to, these, uh, to the Gentiles who they had once looked down upon as dogs. Okay? They, they, they literally considered the Gentiles dogs. And now the word of God is going to the Gentiles. All right, so, so that brings us to our passage. Again, we're seeing the, the conclusion of this shift. And for the rest of Acts, we're going to see Paul going forth into the Gentiles and spreading the, the good news to the Gentiles all around the Mediterranean. Right now, it's only gone, uh, you know, maybe a, a few hundred miles in, in either direction of Jerusalem. And, and soon, as Paul takes the message, it's going to go all over the Mediterranean to the ends of their understanding of what is the earth at that time. And it doesn't stop. We've seen it grow for two thousand years, and it's it's now inside of us here. So first, let's let's look verses one to three. We see this that that the Jerusalem Church realizes that the Word of God has gone forth to the Gentiles, and so they, when Peter comes back, they say, "You went to these uncircumcised men and you ate with them." Okay, this is subjecting himself to uncleanliness under the law. But Peter has realized that that is totally not in effect anymore, that he can fellowship with these individuals because of what God has done, okay? So, so the apostles that were in Judea, when Peter comes back, they're saying, hey, uh, we heard about the fact that you fellowshiped with these individuals. Like, what is the deal? They're very concerned about this because this has major implications for how they understand approaching God's presence, okay? And Peter explains to them, Exactly what we've studied over the past couple weeks—that the Lord showed him, gave him experience to see that His vision, that God's vision, was not just for the Jews, not just for the customs of the Jews, but rather for the nations. Okay, so we see that in verse uh, verses four to uh, four to fifteen that that Peter explains his experience to them. Starting in verse five, he. He says, and this is, you know, again, a review of what, what we've studied over the past couple of weeks, but the reason it's a review is because Luke wants to hammer this point home, that there is no greater important message that I want to share with you. There's a really important message I want to share with you, and that is that the gospel is going forth to all nations. It's not just limited to the Israelites anymore. So he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to me, Looking closely at it, I observed the animals, the beasts of prey, the reptiles, the birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and it all was drawn up again into heaven. So that was Peter's vision, right? Again, Peter seeing that these, these once ceremonial laws that for thousands of years, okay, thousands of years, his family had obeyed these principles, these ceremonial laws of cleanliness in order to worship God. And now God is doing a new thing in him and is saying, listen, those purity laws that, I was, uh, that you followed at one time, they're no longer necessary for you. So your fellowship with Gentiles is okay. That's what this vision is, is saying to him. See, these, these animals that were once unclean to you, which were once common somehow to you, I have made them clean. I have made them whole. Because of Christ, you no longer access, you no longer become holy and righteous because of your uh, obedience to ceremonial laws of cleanliness. You become righteous because of Christ's blood poured out on you. So Peter realizes this, this vision, and the Lord assures him that the people that are going to come to you, you can go with them, okay? For him to interact with these uh, these Gentiles, again, would make him unclean in his, in his old perspective, but now he understands that when these men come, he can go without making any distinction at all. This has to be an uncomfortable moment for him. I, I mean, again, if you think about something that your family has done for as long as you can remember, right? And then God says, you don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) You know, like watching football on Sunday. Like every Sunday is like, okay, we got to watch football in the afternoon. And that's what we're going to do. This is the routine that we go through. We watch football. And then he said, no, actually, you don't have to watch football anymore. Like what? Really? I thought we had to watch football every Sunday, right? It's it's like the ritual. It's the American thing. We have to do that. The Lord is saying, no, actually, like you can watch X games or like you could watch, you know, hockey. There's all sorts of things that you can watch. You know, so uh, that's what he's, that's sort of what he's opening up here is that you don't have to, you can no longer, you no longer have to abide by these, these ceremonial rules that you once put your faith in. You now are made pure by the blood of Jesus poured out for you. So Peter, uh, we see goes to Cornelius. He continues on explaining in verses 11 and 14, behold, at every very moment, three men came to the house where they were and sent, uh, and sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house um, Just sort of a side note to that: six men uh, makes seven with Peter and both in uh, the Roman world as well as uh, Egyptian culture that was you know you needed seven witnesses to to prove a case so if you had seven witnesses about something, then you have really effectively proved your case and so so it's, it's important that we see seven men have gone with, uh, gone together to see this event. Uh, they're testifying and witnessing to the fact that this is a shift, a major shift in what God has, uh, is doing. And so he's declaring to them, these six men and myself went uh, with, with the men back to Caesarea, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you shall be saved you and all your household. See, for this centurion, he was really left wondering about his salvation. I mean, he was trusting in his good works. He was hoping that he would build up enough good works, uh, you know, giving alms to the poor and praying to God and these things that he would build up enough good works in order to get into heaven. He wasn't, he had no assurance of that by faith in Christ. At this point, he was just hoping that the good things he had stacked up would be enough to get him into heaven. And now this message comes from the angel saying, send to Joppa for Peter. He will declare you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. <clears throat> so Peter goes, and, uh, and this is what Cornelius tells him. He tells him of the vision that, that, that happened. And in verse 15, we see what happens to them. It says, as I began to speak, as Peter began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning. You might remember in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, the Lord had uh, had told the disciples before he ascended that the Holy Spirit was coming. They had to wait. So they did. They were praying together. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on, uh, on the apostles and those who were waiting with them. And they began to speak in other ta- tongues and languages. Uh, to those who had had assembled in uh, in Jerusalem. And they were actually speaking in languages of people that were in Jerusalem from other countries. And the people from other countries were saying, I can hear him speaking in my native tongue. He's declaring these things, the wonders of God, to us in my native tongue, even though he didn't even know that language. So the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. And so in a similar manner, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon these Gentiles. So Peter is telling his fellow apostles and, and believers in Jerusalem that, listen, remember when the Holy Spirit fell on us and we declared boldly the, the, the truths of God in other languages and, and we exalted God in a powerful way. That same thing that we thought was so unique to just us, the Jews, has now happened to the Gentiles here in Caesarea, this Roman town. The Spirit of God is poured out even in this place. You see, we are uh, incredibly uncomfortable with change. We don't like to change, okay? But Peter saw that because of his experience, he had to change. Peter, for thousands of years, understood the approach to God uh, as obeying the particular ceremonial rules and And even even with this new truth of of salvation through the Messiah Christ, he still had this concept that he had to remain pure and set apart in, in following these cleanliness rules. But God showed him through his experience that that had to change, it had to be done away with. That no longer would he enter the Lord's presence by the blood of bulls and goats, but rather that he would enter the very presence of God because of Christ Jesus and what he had done. And that 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 act that Christ had done for him had also been done for the Gentiles. Those Gentiles don't need to become Jews in order to experience the presence of God. In fact, they can continue in their own culture and understanding, transformed with the blood of Jesus and his grace, worshiping God as God has made him to worship. I don't know if you know this, but if you go to like another country uh, around the world, they don't necessarily worship like we do. <laughs> you know? Um I always I love this uh we we did a, a a summer mission trip to inner city of Dallas and uh back in my hometown and uh we would always go to church service with uh with this African American uh congregation and it was awesome because it was a totally different experience than I ever had been through for sure. And so uh, you know, we do a building project with them, and we we were building like a, I think we built one year like a, a basketball court, and one year built onto their ministry house, and this. And so every time we would go to church with them, uh, you know, whatever Sunday we were there, and the worship time there was completely different than we would experience here. Okay, uh, essentially it it constituted of a, a person on a piano and a person on drums, and us singing one chorus over and over for I mean, literally we were singing. Lord, we are more than conquerors in your name, probably for 45 minutes. Like that 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 phrase, over and over. More than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Over and over for 45 minutes, okay? And at the beginning of the 45 minutes, everyone else was just as excited as they were at the end of the 45 minutes. And us were like, you know, our uh, little white kids from rural Oklahoma were like, What is going on? Like, What is happening? But we understood that a different culture is worshiping in a different way. Okay, And if you go to China or if you go to Africa or if you go to Europe, these places, they're going to worship in a different manner. And that's what God is saying, that the Christ's blood, his grace has been poured out upon all cultures. And so there's no no ceremonial ritual that you have to go through in order to become uh, a follower of Christ. You simply have to place your faith in Jesus, and then worship him as he's gifted you and enabled you to do. So we see that as Peter explains this to them, he says, listen, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We baptized them. We could not withhold water for them. If God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? See, Peter's experience had changed his thinking. It is so hard for us to change. But God will change us by giving us this experience. Peter, ex- Peter's experience, it required him to change, and what we see is that the Jerusalem Church rejoices at this fact that, that the Gentiles also, to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. <clears throat> Until this point, fellowship with God was predicated on ceremonial purity. But now fellowship with God is marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives because of the work of Jesus Christ. Hearing Peter's testimony to the Jerusalem church, they could no longer resist what God was doing. But rather, they had to rejoice with the move of God that was happening. So I just want to challenge us uh, tonight as we look at this passage with a few things. Um, this question first that, is there some way in which we are standing in the way of God? As we look around at, at the problems that face our society, do we, are we standing in the way of God by saying that he can't take more ground in, uh, in and around us? Peter realized that, that his uh, preconceptions about how to access God were limiting how God wanted to use him. Because of experience, he, he was able to go forth and, and no longer stand in God's way, but rather join with the Father in what he wanted to do with him. This, this question as well came as, are we willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do? Peter was willing to listen. He was, he was there in his house. He was uh, just minding his business and the Lord speaks to him boldly and says, listen, I want you to go to a Roman centurion and present this message to him that salvation is found in Christ alone. Would you be willing to, to leave your comfortable position and, and go to a place that is controlled by this, this uh, political force that is over your society and, and then declare this message boldly to these individuals? Even with God's assurance, it would be a hard thing to do. Are we willing to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting Do we make distinctions concerning who can and who cannot receive grace? Peter realized that he could no longer make a distinction about who God wanted to go to anymore, but rather he had to go to whoever God called him to. We look around and see people in difficulties and we say, well, they're never going to change. They're never going to change. They're never going to change. But God's desire for all people is that they change. So we cannot make any distinction concerning who can and cannot receive grace. We have to go forth to those who God God calls us to. When people interact with us, this question is, when people interact with us, do they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit? The very presence of God is what marks us as believers that, that verified to this group of, of, of the Jerusalem church that, that God had gone forth to them, that the, Lord, the Word of God had gone forth to them is that the Holy Spirit's presence fell upon them. We know that the verification of the fact that God is moving in our lives is that the Holy Spirit's presence is in us. How do you know if the Holy Spirit's presence is, is upon you? And I think it's simple. It's this. Do you desire to worship God with all that He has given you. God has given each of us gifts and abilities in which to serve and glorify His name. And those who have the Holy Spirit desire to worship God with all that He has given us. The presence of the Holy Spirit is seen by our desire to use the gifts that God has given us to exalt Christ around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your desire that we would change. And God, we yoke ourselves to you. Desire the change that you want to do in us. We pray that we would increase in faith, that we would increase in grace, that we would increase in our trust of you and what you want to do with us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to become more aware of the way in which you're moving in our lives, more aware of the gifts that you've given us. God, you pour out gifts on your children. Each one of us has been gifted in unique ways to serve one another and to serve you and to serve those who are desperately in need of your love. God, make us aware of your presence in our lives. God, we pray that we would continuously change. Lord, as Second Peter says, that we would continue to increase in these things so that we might not become ineffective and unproductive in the kingdom of God. Lord, we want to continue to increase that your glory would continually go forth from our lives. We pray this would be so in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.